Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Matt Offenbacher. This will be released after tonight's game, but it is game seven. Yeah. Man, what yeah. a night last night. Were you at the game? No, I can't okay. afford it. I go to one game per series. Okay. I would have bet that you weren't, mainly because you still have your voice. Talking to yes. James this morning and Mike, they're a little raspy. Yeah. But man, what a game for the listeners out there. If you paid attention, it was game six here in Houston. And it was tight, and then all of a sudden, just the wheels fell off. Uh, no, that's called Dusty Baker putting in <laughs> Montero for no reason whatsoever. To be fair, I just went to bed when they announced Montero was warming. <laughs> that was my confidence in our ability to win. So. Yeah, I seemed slightly deflated after, what's that big dude? Bases were loaded, it was three and two, two outs. We had the opportunity to get at least one run, and the uh, dude struck out. So, was that when Singleton struck out? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. After that, I don't know, my gut just told me like, I don't know. I just didn't feel good. And then here we are. Well, the thing was when Maldonado batted in the seventh, it was one of those like, okay, this is hopeless. Like if you're not going to bring in a better hitter than him yeah. and the backside of our order are doing so bad, it was just like, I've already wasted up. The- <laughs> and the thing is like, I get so stressed out that I just take NyQuil. Like I don't even. <laughs> you're like, too wound up to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Man. Like I'm just like. <laughs> Oh, it's intense, man. My daughter, so she plays softball, so she understands the game. Mm -hmm. And last night was the first night she actually wanted to stay up and watch. And it was just like, part of me as a father was just so excited. I mean, I went to bed and watched it in bed and then basically fell asleep towards the end, but, or at the end, but. Yeah, it was cool. She had her little notepad and she was oh. marking down balls and strikes. Nice. Yeah. And then I was like on the screen, the bottom right hand corner, because she knows balls and strikes and outs, yeah. but seeing it on the TV and seeing how they deliver like the right. numbers. And right? how the umpire doesn't know what the strike zone is. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, the red <laughs> the square and the dots. And yeah. she was right into it. And it's funny because she had a pitching clinic yesterday. She's learning how to pitch for softball, but she's all into it now, which I'm so excited about. You should get her scorecards. Scorecards. So That's like a good one idea. of the classic things, like with a baseball, you know, they have like the symbol, how the hitter did and everything. Yeah. So there's like you get printed scorecards and you fill it out where like the person, you know, flight out to player seven and yeah. stuff like that. And a lot of people do it to follow the game. Yes. If they're like super fans. Yeah. It's always interesting. Like Robert Ford, the radio announcer, he does it. Okay. And he'll send a picture when it's like a no hitter or like, ah, a, you, so know. you can see. So I was like, when he, he puts it on Twitter, I save those pictures. She's just really cool. It is. Yeah. You know? Anyways. No, that's a great idea. I, hopefully it wasn't last night. It was just a flash in the pan, but she's getting more and more into softball. And now talking about the Astros, she was pretty fired up yesterday. So game seven, and uh, we'll see how it all plays out next time we talk, which will be next week, folks. You'll know how it all went down. Yeah. But in that case, let's get on to drilling fluids, Matt. Kind of playing on here. The topic for today is drilling fluid technology stuck. That's an interesting conversation. Myself, I'm always looking into the future and I'm always excited about new and, you know, that's just the type of person I am. And I'm always so thirsty for like what is happening in the drilling fluids world. But at the end of the day, we kind of stick to the fundamentals and not much has changed. And maybe it's a function of the wells we drill here in the U.S. I can't speak for like globally, but I just feel like the stuff that we do, it's a good question. And sometimes I think maybe we are, but I think it'd be worth talking about. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, this is something I wrestle with quite a bit because I talk about innovation a lot with different folks. And 
certainly when I was breaking out, there were some really big, significant changes that happened. And it's like, okay, am I older and a little more seasoned where like, like maybe big things are happening and then they just happen gradually enough. They're not as big of a deal as when I had less experience. Yeah. Or is it that we are just kind of stuck and you're not seeing those big iterations forward that seem to be such like game changers from years past? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I know a lot of the stuff that I got introduced to that I thought was new and revolutionary in fact, was something that had been around decades ago that had just resurfaced because we found a new application for it. So to your point, the longer you are in your career, you kind of see the cycles of things coming and going and coming and going. But again, like, let's call it 25 years. What have we seen in the last 25 years that you would say is a pretty good leaps in technology in the drilling fluid space? There's actually a couple here. And I'll start with one that I didn't put on the outline. Mm. So I think reservoir drilling fluids, like our understanding of formation damage and how you can minimize it and that sort of thing. That technology had a big leap as far as it becoming like a discipline. People understood how to mitigate it. You developed expertise in that area. It wasn't just like cross your fingers and that sort of thing. And I think it's worth pointing out that that paired very well with advances in completion technology. So how you produced oil out of the well, fluids worked hand in hand with that. High-performance water-based muds are another one where I think a lot of this was driven by environmental sensibility and that sort of thing. But yeah. And high-performance water-based mud, as many people have heard my rants, is that combination of an encapsulator, an ROP enhancer, and low-molecular weight amine-based inhibitor. So those being more generally environmentally acceptable than oil-based mud, but providing near similar performance That was big, inhibiting very reactive clays with water-based chemicals. That was big for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then the other one I had on my list was low ECD muds. You know, we've talked about fragile flat rheology, and I tend to exhibit some of my cynicism for some of our applications. But the fact is they were revolutionary in deep water wells where people had to run extra casing strings and went on losses all the time because of the thermal variation from a riser, you know, a cold deep water riser to a hot well below. Those things made a big difference and notice they sort of fell hand in hand with technology as well, where you're getting deeper. I'm not on shelf anymore. Now I'm in 5,000 feet of water. What do we do to keep the fluids from going on losses? Sort of advanced hand in hand with rig technology. Those are some of the big ones that we sort of talk about and say, okay, well, where is the new low ECD mud? Like what step change And like you hear these sort of flavors of it, like, oh, well, now we have new ones with like micronized weight material or whatever. And it's like, well, you ground the Bayrite finer. Yeah. They're complementary technologies and maybe there's some economics involved in making that more practical, but that had been around for a long time too. So a question I ask myself sometimes, like, man, are we going to have another step change or where are we? Yeah. Because you look at everything that's happening around you. And again, to me, like personally, I'm like, I wish there's some crazy fluid, but at the end of the day, you have water and you have oil or a synthetic oil. And then you have the chemicals that bring the rheology and all the other properties to spec. And it's hard to think. And then of course we can go down the rabbit hole of like automation and all this, like, how do we apply the fluids? Is there going to be auto this or stuff like that? But the fluid itself, I mean, do you feel like at some point the fluid could be a limiter to advancing in technologies that are all happening around us? I mean, is that a thing? I guess it goes back to like, Are we there yet? Because I think one of the big things was there was a time where fluid was the limiter and then the rig was the limiter, especially when you look at unconventionals where it was like you couldn't pump fast enough and that sort of thing. So you can blame a fluid, but the fluid can only carry so much if you can only pump so hard. And then 
we got better equipment and more powerful rigs and it wasn't, well, like torque's an issue and fluid can help with that. I think we're headed back that direction, but big picture, nobody's throwing up their hand saying, I'll be careful what I say. There's not as many areas where you hear, we don't have a good fluid solution to this problem. We have fluid solutions we'd like to improve upon, Mm -hmm. but like, I'm not looking around saying, I've got to have this alternative or my well performance will go down. Right. When it comes to limiter, a lot of times you're limited. I'm just trying to think like when you're drilling a well, when you get deeper or out further in the lateral, typically it becomes harder to steer. It's torque and drag become an issue. Everyone wants to always try and drill with water-based mud and lubricants. So like when I think that in terms of being a limiter, fluids could be a limiter in that perspective, but in ERD wells, we could drill 30,000 foot in the lateral with an oil-based mud. So I think if you had to drill with water for maybe environmental reason at some point, then fluid may be a limiter at some point to which then I think, well, maybe we'll come up with some crazy lubricant technology or like a chemistry that has never been found or created. Again, that's not an issue yet. Well, even then I see it as sort of a cost limiter where there's probably an environmentally acceptable invert option with a really good biodegradable base oil. Like you'd have to put together the case. There would be some innovation there but nothing that is outside the playbook we already have. Right. Or you'd say, no, that's too expensive. I want to do it with water and super lubricant, which is fine, but you've made a choice. Right. It wasn't that the technology wasn't there. It's that economics sort of drive you one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Some of these are like, what are the needs? So let's say you have really reactive formations and then you come up with a high-performance water-based mud. Like maybe you could find something slightly more inhibitive, but high-performance water-based mud displaced reactive clay, like it addressed reactive clays when all the other fluid choices were so bad. Right. That was a big gain. Now it's like, okay, you got a couple other trouble spots. Maybe we add more inhibitor than we used to, or it's not as big of a step relative to the problem that was put before us. And then running with some of the limiters part, maybe it's a little more boutique, right? High temperature water-based muds. Everybody's running after this one type of synthetic polymer, And some great work was done developing it, but there's just not that many 400 degree wells people want to drill with water-based mud. Right. And so then it sort of becomes an innovation with limited application at high R&D cost. The market is so much smaller. Right. Right. It says, okay, well, we can address these niche needs, but I'm not going to give you a lot of money for something that only solves problems in a few places, right? Yeah. Going back to the niche, I think like... It's one thing where we adapt a direct emulsion to address that section in the Delaware Basin. Like that was given an old dog new tricks, right? Mm -hmm. And it has a niche where direct emulsions aren't very useful in a lot of other places. They've been around for a very long time. That's a very specific, useful thing. And so maybe innovation is headed in that direction where we're dynamic enough with chemistry that issues like that are addressable. It's going to be in this one area. It's not going to be a global phenomenon, if you will. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a very good point. What about like from the environmental side of things? I mean, you think there could be some opportunities there if regulations and things like that get more strict? Like, will you see any big changes there, you think? I think regulations for sure. I think there may even be opportunities. And look, it's tough to say, but look at kind of the water and lube versus oil-based mud option where it's like, look, if I could dispose of this on site, look at all the trucks I save. Look at... Mm-hmm. All of the other, like, that's not just a win for disposal and environmental concerns. It's a safety thing. It's emissions, all that stuff. If you can make it practical and consistently reliable, I think there's just another element of it 
Could we even take some of the things that are benefiting us now and make them more degradable, make them more like in such a way that regulations are not, there could be new drivers for some of these things. My frustration, regulations are sort of an interesting thing because sometimes somebody just has to say, hey, we're going to move forward and okay, so be it. I've seen business strategies where it's like, hey, we're going to come up with this product that's more compatible than what's out there and try and make it so that it's no longer allowable to use the other stuff because we're the only ones with this compliant solution. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of like the foxes guarding the hen house. You hear these stories of lobbyists being able to write their own legislation. And there's an argument where I think the industry should have a say in regulations on what's practical, what could be the best practices. But I also think that we naturally are going to pursue what's in our best interest. There's an argument to be made that if one company is strongly advocating for something like that, it may be because it's a business advantage and not necessarily an environmental advantage or not the environmental advantage it's being played out to be. Right. Imagine if we found some awesome thing that broke down diesel into just safe compounds. I mean, blue sky, like probably not going to happen, but wouldn't it be cool? Nice. And then you'd say, look, I can bury this stuff. You'd be horrified right now if say, oh, I could spill diesel on the ground. It's like, well, with this magic stuff, I can show you with data, with validation verification, it's completely safe. People would be high-fiving each other left and right. Yeah, right? that's a great point. Yeah, kind of like extending the boundaries of which we are trying to evolve the technology. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. What about like, on the chemical side of things? I mean, are there any sort of materials or chemicals that you see in the pipeline that may not be economical right now, but like call it like something that'll give you XYZ drilling fluid properties. Now understanding you have to sometimes tweak them individually, but anything on that front that you see changing the game? I don't know about game changing. When I try and use my imagination and think of, you know, people have tried this in the past. You come up with a material that maybe goes into a fracture and sets up, or you could activate it down hole with either energy, you know, microwaves or what have you. And it cures losses and creates a strong bond at the shoe, or instead of making things like squeezes take this really long time, you just drop a tool down there, push play, come out of the hole, go back to drilling ahead, or maybe even can put it on the string. I don't know. Like, there's just sort of these interesting things you can do with chemistry that is pretty difficult to control in the fluids domain, but there's always interesting opportunities. I think even in the same way, go back to the low ECD mud. It was One polymer shrinks under cold temperatures. One of them expands under heat. You get this rheological profile where it gave you good suspension when it got hot and it thinned out when it got cold. Those were just temperature response type. Like, could you tune that? Once again, just me spitballing, but I think there's space for us to have the next big thing. And it could be something that's universal. Maybe it's niche. I don't know. But we know it's evolving and I get uncomfortable when everybody asks if we're stuck because there's no new flagship system. But I also scratch my head and wonder if we're not looking hard enough. Well, it's a good point. And I think to make any leaps and bounds, you have to have ideas or people that are like hyper curious and are willing to open doors that otherwise people would be like, no, that's a dumb idea. And again, in the oil field, we're kind of our, a little bit of our own enemy by just like being content with the status quo. And because we've done it for so long, like again, not to beat this horse that's beaten for decades. It's like, this is the way we've always done it. And anytime we've sort of said, well, let's at least give it a shot doing it differently. Well, then all of a sudden other opportunities present themselves. People get creative. And then next thing you know, you've got something new and different. And hopefully 
providing some value to the operator or the service company or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think you have to stay curious, you have to stay open-minded. And it's hard to think of anything that we haven't thought of already, but certainly someone out there is going to come up with something. But what that is, it's tough to say, which kind of leading into the next point is like, well, maybe we sort of like start collaborating with other companies or whatever to create complementary opportunities. And so where do you see sort of that direction going? I think fluids maybe could help convey information since they touch everything. Mm. I mean, the same way we send signals through mud pulse telemetry or what have you. Yeah. But a holy grail thing that has been like conductive fluids for logging. So an oil-based mud that conducts a signal as opposed to, so you've got a critical well, oil-based mud is the way to go, but you want to get good formation information, but you can't because you've got a non-conductive fluid in there. There was something, I mean, it was before my time, probably like early 2000s, where they were aggressively pursuing this. And I know there was some other stuff. There was a system that was trialed and published. But then like, even you think about like smart tracers or something like that. Imagine if your fluid changed color at when you hit a certain formation or mm. some sort of indicator yeah. of like, or if you're yeah. getting like a water influx or yeah. anything or whatever. Yeah, like something that gave you this quick signal and maybe it was something detectable by another sensor. And not thinking of fluids in isolation per se, but as part of a system, it was a bit ironic, you know, when I worked at a larger company because I was really interested in some stuff. It could have helped the customer. And it was basically like, hey, we're not going to talk to you. And I was like, well, I didn't ask you to do any work. And they're like, well, we're not going to tell you anything. <laughs> and it was just really, really siloed, which I thought was ironic from a larger company I do think that even the big companies that have different disciplines, they're competing with each other is sort of what I see, right? Like yeah. mud is the loss leader that gets my drill bit or directional tool in the hole and go in your corner. It would take a lot of energy, but like there are opportunities that are sometimes missed, which I think is why you and I like talking to some of our vendors that don't play in the set or not vendors, but peers yeah. who do other services because the conversation is so free we're not playing the same sandbox. Yeah. It's like you said, it's part of a larger system. And for so long, service companies have been sort of siloed. They go to locations, they do their own job. You may pass someone on location. But other than that, like there's no one physically talking amongst each other unless something's going wrong. And it's like, yeah. well, did you do this? Did you do that? Yeah. But ultimately, and I like where the industry is going with like sort of centralized hubs where everything is together to where then you can see the bigger picture instead of, okay, looking at a mud report next, looks at the directional report yeah. next. And so pace on and those type systems have always kind of been there, but a lot of it has been like spot checks. And so I think it's neat to see how we were evolving into hopefully achieving real time information 24 hours a day or while you're circulating, which is then talking to this, which is then talking to that to where I think interesting step changes on how we manage properties. Because a lot of times, if you're only checking the mud, call it once every X hours, you kind of have to, to some degree, build a buffer just in case. But if you can manage the way you deal with properties, well, then there's cost savings that are efficiencies, and maybe there's some performance benefits there. Kind of leading into the next one about data systems is like, how can we use the data to make better micro decisions? Yeah. Will Petty, I'm sure he's okay with me using his name, <laughs> Will presented a paper at the SP conference about drilling fluid automation. We presented it with Exxon and Payson. And yeah. he said, look, you know, as a mud engineer, this stuff helps me. But the other thing is like, you see all this stuff happening together. And a lot of people are looking for this eureka moment. And our conversation was generally like, actually, real-time data is boring if you're doing it right. Like, <laughs> yeah. the problem is not all the alerts are going off, right? In <laughs> yeah. fact, what it's doing is it's providing consistency and quality, which 
is not like I can't tell you how many gazillions of dollars. I can't tell you about the problem that didn't take place. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You have to value the like frequency of those not happening. So I think there's a lot of exciting things there where, hey, I'm just a mud guy, but now I can see my properties and I look over like three columns on the EDR and, oh, look, there's mechanical specific energy or something. And I can see it changing. And therefore, this is where I sit in this system, which I mean, Fred Dupree's limiter redesign, right? He yeah. calls it a system. That's the whole idea of this physics-based drilling and Fluids are a part of that, but they might not be the only part anymore. Our next big home run may be fluids teamed up with a bunch of other things, frankly. I see that coming. I think collaboration amongst service companies, such as long as they don't compete, would be cool because people see things through a different lens. And oftentimes there may be something right in front of us that we're missing. Again, Matt, I think it's an interesting conversation. If anyone out there is listening, it would be cool if all of a sudden you've come across some crazy chemistry that you've used in Timbuktu that U.S. land hasn't touched. Yeah, let us know. Yeah, please. Um, right? Yeah, we want it first. What else, Matt? How would you kind of like in summary leave folks with? Maybe it's not that we've stopped innovating, but we're solving problems a bit differently. And I guess the parting words – like, let's be revolutionary, but I don't think there's any need to call victory. You know, my frustration there being you just see all this stuff on LinkedIn about st- game changer, blah, 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 whether it's lost circulation material or nanotech or whatever. Like, we've seen these things come and go too often. And so I'd say you don't declare victory just because you have a commercial release, although that's exciting. Mm. History will do it. Yeah. No, that's a great so. point. Well, with that said, folks, again, if you're doing something or you've come across something that is revolutionary, we'd love to hear about it. You can reach us on LinkedIn. Matt and I are both on there. Make sure you connect with AES Fluids on LinkedIn. Again, we continue to put out great content, whether it's informational, just telling the AES story and the amazing things that we're doing, not only for our customers, but for community. We're hosting the Simple Promise again, which is a charity golf tournament that we're hosting here. And it's close to our hearts. I know we've talked a little bit about it on LinkedIn and Matt and I have talked about it, but... Again, we're constantly trying to evolve and and grow and do the right things, not only for our company, but for our customers and just the community in general. If you have any questions, again, a lot of our good topics or episodes come from questions from the audience. You can either reach us on LinkedIn or you can send us an email at theflowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. With that being said, go Astros. Be safe until next week. Go Astros. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.